Well, good evening. It's good to see each one of you back for the evening service. Would you stand with me, please? Let's turn to page 118. We're going to sing the first, the third, and the last verse. Joy to the world. Sing it out on the first. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessing flow, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love and wonders of His love and wonders and wonders of His love. What a great day in the Lord. Hadn't it been? I'm just a blessing and sure glad you're here uh, tonight and uh, just a wonderful group. So let's go to the Lord uh, in prayer tonight. We'll make a few announcements and get right back into our song service and, and uh, just singing unto him tonight. Amen. Brother Rich Raymer, would you pray for us, brother? Amen. Why don't you be seated uh, tonight? Just have a few uh, quick things uh, tonight. Of course, uh, this week is very uh, uneventful. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. And I uh, did have a great week uh, last week, but looking forward to just kind of slowing down uh, a little bit. Of course, Wednesday night will be our regular uh, service time at 7 o'clock. And then don't forget about this uh, next Sunday is Christmas Day. and We're going to be having one service, and that'll be uh, at 10.30 in the morning. Of course, when we get uh, into the Sunday after that, we'll be having uh, New Year's Day. Uh, and, uh, man, I'm, we're going to have regular services on New Year's Day. I, I can think of no better place to start the year out than the house of the Lord all day. Amen. And so looking forward uh, to that. And then just wanted to also mention, don't forget about uh, January the 15th. In the Sunday evening service, going to have our send-off service for our missionaries Jack and Lizzie Parker going to Japan. And so that, again, that'll be in the evening service that night uh, and have some fellowship uh, to follow over in the fellowship hall. And so bring some finger foods and looking forward uh, to that. Did just want to mention a prayer request tonight just very quickly. Of course, we do have quite a few folks uh, to just continue to uh, pray for. I sure think of uh, Miss Doris Clark, if you would pray, continue to pray for her. Uh, but also wanted to mention tonight Miss Virginia Potts. Uh, she actually slipped and fell, I believe it was Monday, and ended up, uh, come to find out, she had broke her ankle. And uh, she 
uh, a neighbor finally came over Monday or Wednesday rather and checked on her and realized that she was in quite a bit of pain, got an ambulance, got her to the hospital. So she is in Olathe uh, Medical, had a visit, visit with her yesterday. She's doing okay now and just waiting on some uh, uh, rehab and some physical uh, therapy and things like that. But just if you would pray uh, for her, I know she could certainly use it. And if you think about it, you want to go by and visit with her or contact her or something like that, I know that would be a blessing as well. Okay, brother. Come on ahead. Let's turn to page 146. Page 146, one of my favorite Christmas carols. I heard the bells. We'll sing all verses together tonight. Page 146. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth good will to men I thought how as the day had come the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth good will to men and in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, good will to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, good will to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolves from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth. Good will to men. Amen. Well, it's been a great day in the Lord's house, hasn't it? Now we get a chance to give back to him just a small part of everything he's blessed us with. And as for the Micah Quinlan, would you pray for the offering tonight, please? Amen.
Well, one of these days, her mom might get replaced over here at the piano. That was, that was a blessing. Amen. Thank you, Whitney. Wonderful job. Let's stand for our last song together tonight. Page 135. Angels from the realms of glory. Page 135. <clears throat> Sing all four verses together tonight. Lift it up on the first. Angels from the realms of glory. Wing your flight o'er all the earth. Ye who sang creation story, now proclaim Messiah's birth. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Shepherds in the field abiding, watching o'er your flock by night. God with man is now residing. Yonder shines the infant light. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Wise men, leave your contemplations. Brighter visions beam afar. Seek the great desire of nations, ye have seen his natal star. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Saints before the altar bending, watching long in hope and fear. Suddenly the Lord descending in his temple shall appear. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. He is worthy of our worship, isn't he? Amen. You may be seated. Great singing tonight. This time we'll have a special from Brother Gary Miss Angel Waters.
Amen. What a blessing. Well, it's been good to have Brother Dave Hardy uh, here with us and Miss Grace and, and sure thankful for them. And so, Brother Hardy, you come and preach the word tonight, brother. Looking forward to it. So. Thanks, Pastor. Amen. Yes, sir.
Well, my wife and I sure have enjoyed being with you, and when you're at different churches about every week, it's kind of like anything else. You do the same thing a lot, and you begin to sense things quicker, and I hope you know what you've got here. You've got really a good thing going. Don't take it for granted. We're all guilty of that, taking things for granted. We ought not do it. I really appreciate that song. I, after my uh, mom had put her in a nursing home, I tried to get her to move to Oklahoma and live with us. We had plenty of room. My mother's a Texas girl. And she said, Lord knows, son. She said, if I come up and live with you in Oklahoma and the Lord's come, I don't get back across state line, I won't get to go. <laughs> you think your mama's telling you a joke. My mom didn't know how to tell a joke. <laughs> that was real to her. But I was thinking about that song and what a great truth it is. And I remember after my mom was gone, you know, there were a few pictures and things like that hanging around. And one of them was a picture of a little burr-headed boy just with the pants on and no shirt and no shoes out by a water faucet in a it was kind of a little small country area in Texas, outside of Waco, Texas, rubbing on his head with a corn cob and that water faucet. And yeah, it was me. And I thought, there's thousands of stinky, sweaty-looking little burr-headed boys like that. More than the world would ever need. Why would God care for one person like that? Don't get too uppity about how good you think you are. And the pride and things like that have already been talked about even downstairs. God does hate that stuff. And pardon my grammar, but think nary one of us don't have more than we should. Pride. And uh, probably the wrong way. You say, got something to do with the sermon? Nothing at all. <laughs> but anyway, tonight, uh, start off over in Proverbs chapter, Proverbs chapter 11. Just turn there and stay seated for a moment, if you would, and we'll stand and read that shortly. My uh, normal fare is to go through uh, books of the Bible. And pray about it. The Lord would read, uh, you know, lead me to the, which book He want me to preach on for the next few weeks or whatever. Usually like a New Testament on Sunday morning and Old Testament Sunday night. Or maybe reverse with Old Testament Sunday morning, New Testament Sunday night. And that's the way I'd normally do it. Um, but preachers come by their sermons in different ways. And sometimes we don't know how they're coming. We're just always begging God that they will come. <laughs> Some of y'all played... Hide and go seek when you were a kid, and uh, it's probably gone now, you know. But we did. No, it's not gone. Good. Remember how one person would be the, be it, and then you'd go and hide, and uh, they would they would hide their face, supposedly, and count to ten or what it is, and then what they say, ready or not, here I come. The preacher gets that too. It's not with a kid. It's Sunday morning, and whether your sermon's ready or not, here I come. <laughs> and I can remember several times, I remember one time on a Thursday morning, I always have my sermon notes, you know, beside my bed, right? And I have them done by noon Friday. Everything's typed by noon Friday. And so at night, if I wake up, I see how far I can go into that sermon. If I can, I reach over and grab them and go through it. And I, you know, I, I thought it was Thursday night anyway, and I couldn't go through those points in my head, and I reached over and the sermon wasn't there, and I was rolled up in a, like in a ball, you know, and just sweating, 
And the Lord said, it's not Sunday, David. It's Thursday. I said, so, so glad. So this sermon, uh, just, you know, you read your Bible. You shouldn't just read the Bible just to get a sermon. But a preacher is going to be looking for one when he reads it, no matter why. But every now and then a piece will come here and a piece will come there. And this is kind of where this one came from, and I hope it would be a, a blessing. And the title of it is, uh, which doesn't mean a thing to you at the moment, um, the title is that it happened at work. And so if we could stand now, then we'll read a few verses, and then we'll move along a bit further. So what we're looking at in general is the idea of reaching people for Christ. We call that sowing, and we call that evangelism, whatever the case one of those words that scares most of us half to death that probably is difficult for us to do and so forth, but it's in the book. And uh, here it is now. We've already talked about the year's just about up and a gift for the Lord. And we've talked about worship, which he specifically talks about himself, that he appreciates and he loves. And that's kind of when we have our Christmas before we, somebody already talked about, I think you did, Pastor, about praying and so forth like that. And, and so we... we Worship. Now, prayer can be worship too, but worship literally is paying homage, just acknowledging he's a king and so forth. Uh, and we don't open any of our gifts till he gets his. The wise men came, and before they gave their gifts, the word is worshiped. The wise men worship. Wise men, wise women, young people, it's always good uh, to do that. So in chapter 11 of Proverbs and in verse 30, it says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. I sure wish I could say that every decision I've made has been a wise one. Think where we all might be. And yet the Bible says if any man lacks wisdom. Now how many... (laughs) This is what's really, I look at me and look in the mirror and say, what's wrong with you? It's okay to talk if you don't answer yourself, is what I heard. But what's wrong with you? You claim you don't have enough wisdom and the Bible says ask for it and you don't. You know, and I do, but I probably don't ask near as much as I could, should. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that wins souls is wise. And then we could turn over to Daniel and that'll be the last chapter in the book of Daniel. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, you know, Ezekiel right before Daniel will help you more. It's a bit larger book, but... Uh, Daniel chapter 12. I love to hear those pages go, Pastor. People's got the book. Bring the book. Verse 3 of chapter 12 says, And they that be wise. Now, I did not look for these both to have the word wise in it, because that's not even the main thing tonight. But I mean, I'm just saying it's there. I'm just saying no matter what else you do for the Lord, think about reaching someone for Christ. Want to give him something other than worship? That thrills him uh, to death. He paid a great price for it. And they that be wise shall shine as a brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Great verses for those who are involved somehow in soul winning. Father, thank you for this good church. For the pastor and all these good people. Thank you for the music. And I thank you, Lord, for the young people getting involved in music and the young lady playing the piano tonight. And 
what a great um, tool that is. So many times that music does so much for our soul and for our spirit. So I just thank you again for the ministry here. Pray for the pastor and all the staff and all the people in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. My time in the Navy turned out to be a pretty good time for me, although to begin with, I didn't think there was going to be much there I would, you know, really care uh, that much about because uh, those guys are pretty wild and do a lot of things that I really uh, could not do. But you know, the Lord is not limited by many or by few, and there's not anything that He cannot do. And, and I could spend all night just talking to you about how God worked, and though it's not in any great big ways that He did it, but I like to see the way God does little things as well, because He does those very well. I'm going to try to get a kind of a, um, an amen from the whole crowd tonight, universal amen. I don't know if that can be done. But when I... <laughs> well, you're Baptist, right? So... <laughs> You had a mind of your own. And I wish I could claim to be a great soul winner, but I'm, I'm not. And so I can't claim to be a great soul winner, but I, I am a soul winner uh, to whatever degree. And I don't try to keep a count. That would probably be more embarrassing for me, you know. And I'm not a gunslinger to put all those notches in my gun when it should happen. And I'm not talking about from the pulpit. I think that'd be unfair to make, you know, that comparison I'm talking about just individually when I'm out doing my thing or you're doing yours, whatever the case. But I'm just going to tell you what I'd like to have as a, all together, you know, say something. But if not, then we'll see if we can after that. But here's what I would say. No matter how many souls I've had the privilege to lead to Christ, I wish there had been more. I think I did get everyone an amen. I can't imagine all of us would not think that way that we would want to do that. So I witness to people when I have the opportunity. And I discovered over the years that the best place... Howdy, I, I like trains, but you would rather just ride them than listen to them. That's my wife. I'll tell her nearly every night. We were in San Diego, and it took three nights before I ever heard one of those things. I guess it's real noisy around there. But it makes me want to go ride one of them. I'm not a fisherman, I never will be because I don't have enough patience, but if you're a good one, you have fish left over and you don't want them, you can bring those to me. I certainly would like to have them, I would eat them. But I have friends that are fishermen, and I'm telling you, if one of them learns about a good fishing hole, the other one wants to know about it. Is that not true? If you know any people that fish, where's a fishing hole at that you went to where you caught all those fish? So I'm trying to get you to think about that just a little bit because my greatest fishing hole was at work. As a matter of fact, about five years after I'd been out of the Navy, I was then just pastoring in Eastland about my second year. We're at home. I just was thinking, I was, Grace and I were talking a little, and I said, uh, you know, honey, I really am missing being in the Navy. It not really caught her off guard. When Wayne, our son, was born, uh, when he was a week and a half old, I climbed on that submarine, was gone over four months. I left her in a rundown trailer park with no car and very little money. I'm um, see she could look back on that and say, "What is wrong with your thinking process?" Well, a lot of people have wondered that, especially me. But I said, "Well, baby, um, when I was on that submarine, every time I turned around, I bumped into a lost person." Now, 
just so you'll know what all the government's done about all this viruses and stuff, submariners don't social distance. Yeah. <laughs> We're like ants. Yeah. We're in there together, and as far as I know, everybody's doing fine, you know, because you really can't get your work done by social distancing and so forth. So they, they are just everywhere. This may not sound, uh, pastors will understand this, and the people will to a degree. So when I was pastoring Eastland Baptist Church, and Eastland began to grow. Now, in the Navy, all my time for the Lord as far as outreach was to lost people, basically, because nearly all of them were lost. After I began to pastor Eastland Baptist Church, wouldn't long, and at least 70% of my time was with the people of the church. I love the people of the church. Ask her. I'm a fellowship animal. I go on vacation. I say, honey, would you take this family and that family? She said, you'd take the whole church with us on vacation. I said, wouldn't that be a hoot? That would be fantastic. <laughs> I like that. But you're already saved. And I'm glad. And I think sometimes members never think about the fact, well, pastor, do you have more time? Well, I do, but I've only got so much time. And I, I can allocate it back and forth. And I'm sure that's true with you, because you have all your obligations to do as well. And still, maybe you want to do something as far as reaching other people for Christ. So I mentioned just going through my Bible and reading things that come to your mind and so forth. And so if you turn to Luke now in chapter 20. And I just realized I need to borrow some money. Is this going to be serious? You're looking real serious about it, brother. I mean, I don't really want a lot, you know. And as a matter of fact, wait, wait, wait. I've got to have a certain piece of money. And it can't be more. It's too much. fact is, it's got to be a penny. Oh, a penny? Yes, sir. You got a penny? Really, what are you doing with a penny? <laughs> you could buy a banana bike when I was a kid. Anybody know what those things are for a penny? A little now I got it. Is a penny? Oh, there's a penny. Thank you. That's exactly what I needed. <laughs> that was easy. My wife would say, "You never asked me for a penny." But are you in Luke chapter twenty? All right, verse twenty-two. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar, or no? But he perceived their craftiness and said unto them, "Why tempt ye me?" Now you know why I want to show me a penny. It wouldn't have been called a penny back then. Why tempt you me? Show me a penny. Whose image? And of course the original word is icon, which now is popular because of computers, but it used not to be. Show me a penny. Whose image is on it? Uh, whose superscription hath it? They answered and said, Caesar's. And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the thing which be God's. And they could not take hold of his words before the people, and they marveled at his answer and held their peace. Now, what was it that maybe began to come into my mind just reading through my Bible and come to this particular section of Scripture? And I suppose it already was in my mind about where I worked, and I worked at other places other than the Navy after I was out of the Navy. And when I get to this part here, these verses to me, Talk about commerce. 
Now, commerce is the exchange of goods. And, of course, some people say, you know, uh, if Adam had never sinned, we'd never had to work. You don't know your Bible. God specifically told him to work. Go out and tend the garden. God doesn't like laziness from anybody. Told him to work. Now, I think without doubt, uh, because of sin, that work became a lot more difficult. I can't even imagine a world without the thorns and the thistles and all of that. But that's the way it's going to be with a new one, I would suppose, because it'll be like the first one was before we mess it up and so forth. But commerce. So I suppose also, since I didn't live that far back, you just had to imagine your, your mind exactly what it was like. You know, some people were gardeners or farmers, if you want to call them that. And some of them maybe had sheep or maybe had cattle. There's no way for me to know how all that began to come together, but it came together. We all know that. And so then, if you want to trade this or that, then you've got to drag some cattle over to another guy's place where he can see them or make some kind of exchange or whatever. But then they finally decided the best way to do that was to go over there and see them without moving a herd and so forth and come up with something that you could trade for the cattle or the sheep or whatever and what we would call money. Now that's commerce. I think commerce is something that God is pleased with. The Bible says, if you find something to do, you do it with your might. The Bible is full of a good work ethic. I mean, there's many examples of it. And so we we have that right here. And of course, we have the commerce or the penny. Now, who's on here? Abraham Lincoln. I wonder why he was there. And then I was reading one day that There was a statement about Abraham Lincoln. He said he loved the common people so much. He said God must have loved them too because he made a bunch of them. (laughs) Which probably involves a bigger part of us in having that. So it's commerce. Now, when you think about commerce, then you think about it. You can't have commerce without people coming in contact with each other. That just seems to be a perfect setup for soul winning in my mind. Now, once again, you say, oh, I bet you just love doing it. I don't. That's a horrible confession. I love to see people saved. If I had to be a traveling salesman, I wouldn't be here. I would have starved <laughs> a long time ago. You know, these guys with vacuum cleaners used to go up and down our streets when I was a kid and banging on a door and come in and suck all this dirt out of your bed and say, you want to sleep in that tonight? You know, and, and I just... <laughs> I would like for you to all laugh at the same time if you can do that. Uh, bang on people's doors and everything, uh, I, I don't like to do that. Now, if I was uh, back at Sears and Roebuck in the good old days when craftsmen ruled and so forth, and you put me in a tool department, I'd love it. I'd sell you more tools you can carry out of that place. Because you came in looking for a tool, I'm going to make sure you get them. You understand the difference in the two? I think you do. And that's one reason maybe that sew winning is more difficult. For us to do. People do not necessarily want us to come and and tell us that. But when you get to a place where you have commerce like that, you automatically come in contact with each other. It is perfect. And probably one of those great opportunities for soul winning. As a matter of fact, I believe the Bible is going to back me up. Move to Mark chapter 1. And I'm going to ask you for some responses here in a little bit. And uh, Baptists say amen, so that'll be good, but it's not going to be an amen. 
we get to the right place, I'm looking for the response from you as it happened at work. I just want to show you, I know what I'm talking about because it's in the book. It's okay, we're in Mark. Now, I get it back to Mark. I was over in Luke and didn't turn it back, so you're already there. You'll have to just wait for me to get there just for a moment. I am there. Verse 16, chapter 1. Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers, or we would probably say fishermen. Now, if they were fishermen and they were fishing, they were at the... Now, some of y'all got it. Now, if they were... (laughs) If they were fishing and they were fishermen, they were at good. I like that. And Jesus said unto them, Come you after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Now we're talking two men of the twelve disciples. How would you like to have them on your record as winning them to Christ? He found them where? At work. Well, then you get to verse, and then verse 18, they straightway forsook their nets and followed him. Verse 19, and when he had gone a little farther thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. And now we have four of the major players, and it happened where? No, I'm sure Jesus doesn't know where to go looking for lost people, does he? He went to work. Everybody's got to work one way or the other. They either have to work at stealing something or working, <laughs> making a living, and something like that. I'm just telling you, it's good stuff. God has set. That's that commerce, I know God put that together because he wants people to use their talents and everything like that, but then he has a greater purpose for it. Now, another thing, you know, that penny, you know, but if you go all the way back to what we're talking about in the Bible and Caesar, the way the people knew who the king was, was by the image on the coin. They didn't have TV, they didn't have any printed page, they didn't have any of that. And so it was, if I could say, the potentate, the king, whatever. It was his way for people to know who he was. And by the way, I think we might be the only country that has money that says, in God we trust. And that the Lord has favored this country. Oh, I could stay there a long time. Do you know that we're a baby We talked about Rome. If you go over to Germany, I've got a picture of a, what I used to call a drugstore, you know. It's CVS now or Walgreens or whatever the case. That store's been there longer than since Columbus came over here. We're a baby. Some people say, yeah, we are. And that's all that goes through your head. We can shake that thing a little bit. How did a country that's such a baby like us become the world power? We need to think. I know if you make people think they're thinking, they will love you. If you make them really think, they'll hate you. (laughs) It hurts. (laughs) 
If I think too long, it smells like electrical wire burning or something like that. <laughs> Although I'm a submariner and I'd rather die on a rubber raft than go to sea on a surface craft, I did ride an aircraft carrier from uh, Hawaii back over here, the USS Ranger. That's the one they made a movie of years ago called Top Gun. And I spent my time up on that flight deck as much as I could watching those airplanes. In a little over two seconds, they go from zero to 200 miles an hour. If you want to get a good ride, it's better than going down and getting on a Ferris wheel or Disneyland. Because <laughs> it literally almost makes them pass out from the thrust. And you say, how, how, how can they do that? Well, those engines are powerful, but that's not how they do it. There's a catapult. And it's like a giant rubber band. That's the best way to say it, you know. And we probably don't have any people here who knows how to slingshots. You know, my, my, my ability to talk is leaving me because literally that carrier throws that plane off of there. That's, right. That's what God did for America. He catapulted us. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't deserve it, and we're going to lose it. We ought to be on our face all the time saying, God, I don't know how you did it, why you did it, why I get to live in America. Everybody on this earth wants to get into America. That's the reason we can't get our borders tied down. And there's other reasons as well. I'm just saying God's so good. But no other nation, I think, would have the understanding that we have with our Bibles and so forth and to realize that God wants us to do well. He made our country that way. Reason the people that came so many years ago because they knew they could make it here. And I'm telling you, some of them made it good and they worked really hard. Well, let's just turn the page here and we get over to chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse 13. We're talking about Jesus now, and he went forth again by the seaside. And all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, this be Matthew, sitting at the receipt of custom. Now, he was there because the people, you know, at Capernaum, uh, they're bringing all the goods in and going down to the sea and to ship them out and everything. And so he collected taxes for the emperor, Caesar, whoever it was at that time, so he was sitting there doing that. It says receipt of custom, verse 14. So where was he? He was uh, he's at work. And Jesus comes to work. And said unto him, follow me. <laughs> and he rose and followed him. And one thing I like about that, if Jesus can use a tax collector, for God's sake, he can use anybody. <laughs> Who likes a tax collector? And they were crooked. And probably Matthew was crooked. You know, because they'd add a little bit of their own on there, you know, when they, when they were doing it. So we, I'm just hoping that you're seeing here, if Jesus has given us example for this ourselves. Now, I'm going to leave the scriptures from that particular point for just now, but not only for me is that really important, but um, I didn't grow up in a Baptist church. 
I grew up in a church where I learned about the Bible, but I grew up in a church that was mostly a teaching church and not a preaching church. You say, well, that's got to be good. We're supposed to have both. The Bible makes it very plain. It's both. You know, preaching is Caruso, and they get that from the rooster. And the rooster wakes up in the morning, he jumps on the fence post, and he begins to let people have it, you know. And so that's kind of what preaching is. You know, know, teaching is a dissemination of information, and that's what you're supposed to do with teaching. But when it comes to preaching, you don't only disseminate information. You're looking for a result. It's kind of... One of them's like a firecracker and the other one's like a hunter's gun. When you pull the trigger, you not only hear a bang, you want to see something fall. You want to see some kind of result. And so I hadn't been to a place like that. In other words, I heard enough to know about what I needed to do, but never thought it was that important or how it would work. And then I went to the first Baptist church I ever went to. Little Independent Baptist Church, a good day, was about 30-something people. Went in there on that Sunday morning. There's a little white-haired Irishman. I say little, he was short. That's the only little thing about him. He was short. He was like, well, he was like that no matter which way you measured him. I mean, it's just the way it was. <laughs> and he already had a red face. And he started preaching and he got redder. And blood veins were coming out. I was looking for a seatbelt, you know. <laughs> I'd never seen anything like that uh, before. But I kind of felt like he, he meant what he said and knew what he was talking about. I came back that night and... Um, then the next Sunday, and I, I failed to mention that one way I got there, and the reason I got there, that Grace had a stepbrother that worked at Buddy's Supermarket where I sat groceries, and he stocked groceries, and he was on my case to come, preacher. And I should have mentioned that already. And I said, I already go to church. Already, but he, he was relentless. Now, here's the part, maybe I don't know whether you think it's worth knowing or not, but he wasn't the greatest Christian example, but he was a Christian. He was saved, but he smoked. And I wouldn't be surprised down the road he didn't tilt the bottle or something. I don't know. But he was constantly hounding people about going to church. Well, he'd have done better. I know he'd have done better. What are you going to say if he took more people to Christ than you did? That doesn't make everything else right. But anyway, here's one that's thankful that he didn't leave me alone. Because on that second Sunday and that night, he preached again. I mean, he had me already. And his grandson sung a song. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for all eternity. And all I'd been taught before is you can get it, but you can lose it. And in four good Baptist services, I knew better than that. And I was ready. Now her stepbrother found me at work. Second groceries. I'm a product of someone who knew that God had me working there for a reason. Now, you know God has you working where you work for a reason, unless you just rebelled against Him? It's kind of like you get certain parts of the Scripture. The Bible talks about our calling, which is our vocation. If you take people, what's your vocation? Not a carpenter. Is it work? A mechanic. It's a vocation. So people say, I'm not called to the ministry. Yeah, you're called. You may not be called to be right here. It's like he was in, say, called to be that guy that would stock those groceries there so that he could do something else for the Lord. I really believe if I was an electrician, God wouldn't be primarily concerned about the fact that I was an electrician. I went to electrical schools and things like that in the Navy, but the main thing. 
But the main thing was that that got me into a place like the Navy in certain places. I couldn't have got there without it. But God wanted me there to be a witness. That doesn't mean you quit your work and spend all your time preaching. Don't go start saying I said that. I'm just saying that work will get you to places you couldn't get otherwise. And God wants you to use that. And I got saved there. As a matter of fact, I got one more that doesn't really fit this about my own life, and then I'll move on from that. So I got on that submarine. Uh, I'd only been on it about four months. That would have been 1962. And uh, so someone said, Hardy, the uh, captain and the executive officer want to see you in the wardroom right now. That didn't sound good. But when the captain calls, now you may not know this, but I'm telling you the truth. A Navy captain, when the boat's at sea, can marry and bury. I was already married. <laughs> I thought, I'm going to the wardroom. And I went in there, there's a captain and the executive officer. And I'm 17 years old. I'm, I had to drink milk and eat bananas to weigh enough to get in the Navy. I mean, we're talking skinny. If I didn't have big feet and I took a shower, I would have disappeared. I mean, I just would have been gone. You know. So, so I want you to know what they were looking at at that point. And the captain asked me four questions. He said, Hardy, you don't do drugs, do you? I said, no, sir. He said, you don't drink. I said, no, sir. You don't even smoke. I said, no, sir. Number four. You don't have any girl pictures on your locker. No, sir, I don't. Now, both these men are lost, and as far as I know, they never got saved. But that captain said, I want you to hold services on this submarine every Sunday that it's at sea. Now, those were the four requirements of a lost man. I think maybe the lost world would respond and be saved more if they could say in Christians. I'm thinking, well, some Christians wouldn't ask you those questions. So a few times I've had someone say, tell me how God called you to preach. I said, God didn't. <laughs> a lost Navy captain called me to preach. I mean, <laughs> and you know better. God can use, he used Balaam's ass, right? The donkey. So it's important to me that people at work have a chance. They deserve a chance. Someone to talk to them and see if they could do something for them. After I got out of the Navy, went back to uh, Arlington, Texas, and uh, Vietnam was real hot. I started working for a Bell helicopter, making Hueys and Cobras and things like that. So uh, the way it was set up, I, I think it's good if you can see the picture of this, you know, physically speaking, but if I'll just take one of the sections here, if I could say, for instance, instead of having a pew to sit in, you know, you just got like a stool to sit on, whatever, because you can get on and off of it. And then there would be, um, right in front of him would be like a four-by-eight piece of plywood up here, and it would go all the way across. So people sitting on stools there instead of a bench would have that plywood and they have the clip on there you could put all your schematics to see all the electrical wires and things like that you're going to put together. But you wouldn't be able to see me because that thing was that high. If I was sitting over here or whatever, you wouldn't. And it'd be that way all the way back. And it was a big place. 
And so I was working there one day, and I had my lunch bucket. I always smelled like a banana, <laughs> a peanut butter sandwich, pretty much, you know. Had a New Testament. I'd go into work and put my lunch bucket down and pull my New Testament out and just lie it down there. Don't you think that would give you away? I thought, well, I hope so. <laughs> you know, if you really want people to know you're a Christian, you can. Sometimes we need to come to the altar and say, God, I'm sorry. I was afraid I'd lose ground because they knew I was a Christian. God help us after what Christ went through. So I'd put it down there, you know, and then come lunchtime, I'd read it and do that. I met a man named Lee Ingram. I don't know if that means anything to pastor or not, but he probably does. And so I talked to him about going to church and Lee Ingram told me how to and where to get off and not to come back and in no uncertain terms. <laughs> I said, okay. So I don't know, a few days passed and I'm working on my deal. And Lee Ingram didn't work beside me, but there was, yeah, right beside me, excuse me, drop my hanky here. And he was about six foot four and ate like a horse and never gained a pound. And, <laughs> you know, he was just kind of worthless to, to feed that, that guy to do that all the time. We called him tapeworm because he ate so much and never... Nothing ever showed. And so I was looking at my Bible one day, and he said, what's it say? I started reading it, and he said, I said, can I read you some more? And he said, yeah. I went all the way through the plan of salvation. All the way. I was excited. Nothing happened. To this day, of course, I know nothing ever happened. But God's God. Because here, you know, I'm talking to tapeworm right here. There's this big piece of plywood. Lee Ingram was standing right where you are. I couldn't see him and he couldn't see me. But he heard every word. You know why? Because God wanted him to hear it. Later that day, he came by and he said, I'm going to church with you this Sunday and I don't want to hear anything out of you after that. (laughs) I said, okay. He went to church with me. The Lord was waiting on that boy. He got saved. A year later, I mean, I went on to Bible college and everything, and then he went to a youth camp up at Silver State, take some kids up there. He'd been saved about a year, and then that year he surrendered to preach, and he came to Bible college. Finished Bible college, started a church in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and came back down and pastored, took a church that had been in trouble and really far down and built it back up again. Twelve years ago, he got cancer. Survived it for eight years. And I watched him go down. Was there for every surgery he had to drive to Fort Worth. I still remember when they called Grace and me and said, well, they're taking all the tubes out this morning. And they said, he's not going to make it a long time. And we jumped in the car. I wish they'd have told us quicker. They told us the day before Pastor Ryder had been there. They didn't tell us. His family. And I don't think they knew things would go so quick. We got down there about 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon or something like that, and his already, you know, I'm sorry, but I had never seen that. I've been to every surgery he had. I drove down there. And as soon as I came into the room, Grace will tell you, everybody else left. We were, he was a brother I never had, physically speaking, growing up, you know, was Lee. Sit there beside him. and Well, I actually didn't sit for a long time. I just stood there and took him by his left hand, and I was talking in his ear, and I said, Lee, I've got to know that you know I'm here. You've got to squeeze my hand. You've got to do something. And sure enough, after about the third time, he squeezed it. 
I was right there holding his hand and rubbing his thumb till 11 o'clock that night. And I watched his neck. And he quit. What if I hadn't said anything at Bell Helicopter? But now <laughs> I get to see him again. Well, so then there was a guy named Freddie England. I'll mention him to you. And we're about done here. I want to take your time on just crazy stories, but they fit what I'm, I'm trying to tell you about. So, so I'm in Bible college my last year, and we're in the field house. Some of y'all have been up to BBC, and it was big. Got a flat floor and then it angles up on it. It'll hold about 5,000 people. And it's on a Thursday and we're going to have chapel. And they were getting ready on the platform for chapel. And I'm going through my notes trying to get them organized, you know, before all of that starts. I'm just sitting here with these rows. But there's flat part and it came up on the sides. And I was on the side over here where it kind of comes up. And I'm sitting there right by an aisle. I always like to be by the aisles if I can. And uh, I saw a guy walk by. I said, man, I know him. Well, and I know a lot of people there. And, uh, you know, I've been in school for three years. That was my last year. All of a sudden, this guy grabbed me by the shoulder, and I turned around. It's Freddie England. I said, Freddie, what are you doing here? And he said, well, you remember you preached all them services on the submarine? Freddie was on the submarine. And uh, we'd hold 24 in our, what we'd call a mess hall. And it was usually full every week. I don't understand all of that. He said, you remember I was a cook? <laughs> You're in there preaching in the mess hall every single Sunday, and I didn't have any choice but to be fixing the food. <laughs> I'm probably the only one that heard every sermon you ever preached on that submarine. He said, I never had the courage. I just couldn't do it in front of the men. But I remembered. I got out six months after you left. I went straight to an independent Baptist church and got saved. Amen. God's called me to preach. Graduated from BBC, went up to Montana and started a church. Amen. It happened at, uh, with Lee Ingram, it happened, uh, it happened at work. I don't have time, there's no use, because you've got the point now to tell any more of those, because there are a few more. And although, and I wish I had time to talk to you about it, it was a, it was a bad start to first get on the submarine, because if you're trying to live for God... It'll, it'll show. <laughs> and they'll be telling everybody around, you know, some Holy Joes on the submarine here. And I don't know how many times what he told me when I first got on it. We've had guys on you like you on here before. They never made it. Whatever the case. But God knows how to do what He's supposed to do. And I'm going to say to you that there's no better place to win someone than at work. You say, well, I don't work anymore. Commerce is anywhere you exchange money. I bet you do some of that. It doesn't have to be where you work. It can be where somebody else works. At Walgreens, like I mentioned. What about Walmart? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's in here. Not directly, but indirectly it is. So now Christmas is coming. We talked about God really appreciates worship. But if you want to really get Him excited, win someone to Him. Tell them about the Lord. And here's what I want to ask you to do tonight. We're going to have an invitation. It'll be up to you. Right now, you can do this in a moment's time. Think in your mind's eye. See the face 
uh, someone that you know that works somewhere, you work with them or you go there to buy stuff or whatever and you go back and forth different times, get that person's face in your mind right now and ask yourself if you love them and you care. And then I'm going to ask you if that's true and you don't know what their situation is. Would it be worth your while just to humble yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, open the door just enough for me to get my foot in it. I can have one conversation with them just to get started. Maybe it'd be a long time down the road when I reach them, but Lord, and he'll see that picture. He'll help you get your foot in the door. You know, so if I could be uh, Lee Ingram or whatever, and he could be somebody else, pastor, stand up for a minute, pastor. You know, I'm already in heaven now, but I'm Lee because I'm already gone. He's just chilling up. What would it mean when I come up and say, in heaven and you're just getting there, I'm here because of you. Is it fair for me to ask if you've been saved any length of time? Who do you think will welcome you and say, I'm here because of you? Haven't we not had enough time to do that? Thank you, Pastor. And thank that old song, Must I Go? And Empty-Handed. Must I face my Savior so? Not one soul with which to greet him must I empty-handed go. I don't think you want that. God will help you, but he won't do it for you. I want to challenge you. As we look at these days, Christmas, what a wonderful country to live in, and we know the truth. Let's all stand.